What an amazing weekend. What an amazing day. Resurrection morning. Celebration of the exclamation point in all of history. The day, the hour that changed the world forever. Last week, the message, the cross, we ended the message with the road to the cross, leaving Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. But I want you to understand that what we see around us is considered, I guess you call it the seen world, what we see with our eyes. But there is also an unseen world. I'll call it a supernatural realm. If you believe in God, you believe in a supernatural realm because God moves and operates in that supernatural realm. And we don't see it. It's not physically able for us to see that unseen world. And yet there's a lot that goes on in that world or in that realm that we understand through his word because his word talks about that unseen realm. One of my favorite examples is found in 2 Kings 6. You might remember the story of Elisha. Elisha woke up one morning and his, and, and his servant went outside and looked around. And as far as he could see, all around there were enemy camps and tents and chariots. And the soldiers were encamped all because they wanted to destroy and kill Elisha. And Elisha took one look and said, there's no problem here. They're more with us than with them. And the servant went, one, two. And he said, what? And Elisha prayed and he said, oh, Lord. Let my servant hear and see and understand. And God opened his spiritual eyes to see the unseen realm. Doesn't happen very often. And his eyes were opened and it says that as far as he could see, there were chariots of fire all around that were far greater than the enemy. So that was a picture And there are actually many examples of things going on in the unseen realm. You know, that's the reason your prayers are so powerful. I want you to think about this just for a moment. Your prayers start in the natural realm. They travel into the unseen realm. They touch the heart of God. And then they come back into the seen realm. In the form of answered prayer. No wonder your prayers are so powerful. It is the only thing. That is able to reach into the unseen realm. When Jesus. When they laid his body in the tomb. It looked like in the seen realm. It looked like it was a total defeat. 
I mean, the people of God, all the disciples, everyone who loved Jesus, they were all totally devastated. It looked like everything was over. Their hopes of having Messiah was over. They thought, our dreams are ended. And now not only that, they were hiding in rooms because they felt that they would be hunted down and killed just like Jesus. They felt like their fate was the same as Jesus because Jesus had been considered a revolutionary, rebelled against the religious leaders, rebelled against Rome, and so they felt like they would be killed along with Jesus. So in the seen realm, it looked bad. But what I want to talk to you this morning is from his word, I want us to get a picture of what is going on in the unseen realm while his body is laying in that tomb. What happens at that point? Well, very simply, the Bible tells us and we have understanding that his body stayed in that tomb, but who Jesus really was, because that was just a tabernacle. The spirit and the soul of who Jesus really was, it says he descended to Sheol. Let's look at that if we could understand a little bit about Sheol. The word Sheol is the Greek word for the place of dead and departed spirits. Look, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, it says, Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivities captive and gave gifts to men. Look at verse 9. Now this he ascended, what does it mean, but that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth, that Sheol. Another reference you might remember, uh, Jesus told a story from Luke chapter 16, and he actually described, gave us a picture of this region, this lower parts of the earth. It's in Luke 16, verse 22 through 26, it says, finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham and in the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There's that same uh, word, Sheol, but now translated place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. In verse 24, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And now he gives us a description of this Sheol. And besides, there was a great chasm, would be like a canyon or separation, a great chasm between the two places. And you can't travel from one to the other. So this is the place that he descended. And... He did two primary things when he was in Sheol. The very first thing we see is listed in Colossians chapter 2. It's interesting because it tells us here in Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, that was the law, And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And look at verse 15. Interesting. Having disarmed 
principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over over them in it. That didn't happen in the natural realm. It says Jesus triumphed over the powers and principalities, and he made a public spectacle. So what is going on here? First of all, everyone that had ever shown up, they either went to the lower region, hell, or the upper region, and a lot of times they call it Abraham's bosom or paradise. And Satan had authority. No one was able to leave that place until Jesus showed up. Now, all of a sudden, even though Satan thought he won by killing the body of Jesus, now in Sheol, Satan has no authority over Jesus. Now, Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings. And now what Satan thought was his victory has now become his defeat. And the very first thing Jesus wanted to do is set the record straight. Who is in charge here? Who has authority here? And Jesus declared to every power and principality, Satan included, that he is king of kings and lord of lords, and he literally triumphed over them. And every demon in hell was put on record that Jesus is Lord, and that they have no power, they have no authority over Jesus. No wonder when you use the name of Jesus, it is so powerful. Because Jesus established that at the very beginning. Now, Satan has no authority over him. He doesn't really know what to do. But he triumphs, and that's like a a procession. They would have those in the Roman, uh, when the Roman army came home from a victory, they would have a triumph where the victorious leader of the army would lead the triumph. And that's, in a sense, what he's referring to there. Jesus defeated the enemy. Now, what else happened? Well, you might catch this. Remember what we read in Ephesians 4.8. We just read it. It says in verse 8, That is why the Scripture says when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to the people. What in the world is that? Well, pretty simple, actually. All the people who died from Adam to Jesus, when they died, if they believed in God, they received what we call imputed righteousness. But they could not go to heaven. They could not be with the Father. Why? Because Jesus said it in John 14, 6. No man comes unto the Father except through me. And the price for the redemption of mankind had not been paid. So all the Old Testament, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the Old Testament say they believed God. They trusted God. But when they died... They had to go to that place. It was not hell, but I guess it was a holding place until the redemption of mankind was accomplished. And so the very first thing Jesus did after he triumphed over the demons is he got the key 
of death, hell, and the grave. Now he owns it. And he unlocks that place and says, come on, guys, we're going to heaven. Can you imagine what kind of procession? It says he took the captives, captivity with him. And he ascended into heaven. What an amazing entrance into heaven. Jesus is entering into heaven. And all the Old Testament. All the Old Testament saints are with him. And they've been waiting forever. Now, you might be wondering, okay, this paradise place, do, do, uh, do we have to go there? No. It's been cleaned out. A big sign has been put on there, no more needed, locked up. Why? Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you die, you don't go to paradise. You go straight to be with your heavenly Father because now the price for your redemption has been paid. They couldn't go before, but now that we can. And so the second thing that happens, first thing And this is all in the unseen realm. The first thing was that Jesus descended to Sheol. And he accomplished those two primary goals. The second thing, now he comes into heaven. I I love it because in Revelation 1.18, it's like a declaration of what he said in Revelation 1.18. It says, I am the living one. I died, but look. I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. He's got the keys. The enemy does not have the keys. Jesus has the keys. It's amazing what it must have been like in heaven when Jesus came in. And now, unfinished business. The price, we've talked about how the blood of Jesus pays for our redemption, so that now is literally going to happen. And you pick up the story, it's in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, it says this, So Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle, where? In heaven which was not made by human hands and not part of this created world. So it wasn't part of the seen world, it was part of the unseen world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time, and he secured our redemption forever. Wow. Amazing. He literally entered into heaven's holy of holies, he had his blood and he poured his blood on that altar, the mercy seat that was over the law that demanded death. But now the mercy seat covers the law. And the picture is that the blood covers the penalty of sin. But this blood is unique. This blood is not like the blood of bulls and goats and rams. That blood, it was corruptible. It means it dies. 
But it tells us the blood of Jesus is incorruptible. Ever living, never dying. That tells me that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus poured his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. It declares your innocence. It declares your forgiveness. And it is still alive today, declaring and covering our sin and providing for us to have life. In Jesus Christ, it still lives. It is still alive. The blood of Jesus. And you know, you can see just a picture of this. Because in heaven, they're rejoicing. In hell, they're moaning. (laughs) They just got triumphed over. They just got told who was in charge. They thought they were... Going to have a great time because Jesus was dead. Now they know differently. And look, if you would, in Revelation chapter 5. I love this picture. It's just a glimpse of what it must have been like in heaven. Revelation 5, just verse 9, 9, it says, Then they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people from for God from every tribe, every language, and people and nation, and you have caused them to become kings and priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then verse 11 says, Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. There is an amazing chorus going on ever since the day He poured out His blood on that altar on the Holy of Holies. All of heaven broke out in worship to Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb. I believe that worship is still going on today. That's why I enjoy corporate worship as we worship today. We are joining in the chorus of heaven. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb. So Jesus first ascended into Sheol. Now he ascended into heaven, put his blood on the altar in the Holy of Holies. And all of heaven began to sing and worship. And again, all this is transpiring while his body is laying in the tomb. The physical part. But now, the third area, Jesus returns to the earth. Now, let's, you have to kind of piece this together to see how it transpired. Interestingly enough, I, I began to look at that earthquake. You know, Matthew is the only one that mentions an earthquake. Mark, Luke, and John don't mention any earthquake. But Matthew mentions it twice. Now, I'm going to show you the second time he mentions it because he gives us a better understanding of the timing. Let's look at this in Matthew 28, verse 1 through 7. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, probably the other Mary was the mother of Jesus, went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. So 
Did the earthquake cause the stone to roll or did the stone rolling cause the earthquake? I don't know which, but it all happened there together. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him. They fell into a dead faint. I believe I would too. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Just as he said it would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I've told you. What's interesting is that in each of the Gospels, it basically says that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, they ran back, told the disciples, and Peter and John had a foot race to see who could make it to the tomb fastest. And John makes a point that he beat Peter. You know, a little competitive going on between Peter and John. But interestingly enough, even though John beats him, Peter gets in there first. I don't know why he hesitated. But they find it empty. They don't get to talk to an angel like the, like the uh, ladies did. And so they come back. And remember the word from the angel was you need to you need to go to Galilee like we agreed but they don't go so now we pick up the story in John chapter 20 verse 19 that sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors they're still afraid obviously because they were afraid of the jewish leaders suddenly jesus was standing there among them peace be with you he said As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. That was exactly the fulfillment of what Jesus had said in John 14. He said, you now have the Holy Spirit is with you, but he is going to be in you. The promise was always for the Holy Spirit to indwell in us. And now there's a fulfillment. And this actually goes all the way back to Genesis Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost the Spirit of God. They lost that connection of God. And they were living and breathing, but they had lost that Spirit, that connection with God. But the plan from the time of the fall of Adam and Eve to this day was always that one day they would have the breath of God in them again. And now this is the fulfillment. Jesus looks at them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And they are indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now they can be new people. Now they are born again. They are now new creations in Christ. Now God does a work inside of them. And they are never the same. Now, they still need the empowerment of power from on high. So he said, you need to wait. So they went to Galilee and they tarried and they waited. 
And that's when Pentecost came and they got an extra blessing of the power of God to come upon them. So what we have happening is that we we can have new life. We can have resurrected life just like these disciples. Remember when we talked about the blood The blood was not sufficient to pay for the price when they had bulls and groats and rams because it died. But the blood of Jesus was sufficient. It was the sufficient price. Plus, it is ever living. And therefore, it it allows us to have the life of God. You know, when the resurrection power of God hits us, that's power. I'm going to read to you the second mention of the earthquake. And I want you to catch the connection here. It's in Matthew 27. Look at this, verse 50 through 53. Then Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. That's when he said, it is finished. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, that's the top to bottom, the, the veil being rent. That was at his crucifixion. When he died, the top was torn from top to bottom in the temple. And now, it doesn't explain it. It just kind of jumbles it all together. He just keeps going. Look what happens now. The earth shook. Rocks split apart. But he's talking about the resurrection. And he'll show you this right here. And tombs open. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. So, how did that happen? That tells me that at the resurrection, when that earthquake hit, it opened up the tomb of Jesus, but it also was such an earthquake bunch of other tombs opened up. And when the resurrection power of God hit that tomb and the Spirit of God came back into the Lord Jesus and He stood up in that tomb, the power of God was so amazingly powerful that a bunch of people next to Him all came alive. You know, they were dead. And now they're alive. They're looking around and saying, What am I doing? thought I was in the tomb. I thought I, this is over. And they decided they were hungry, so they went inside, went, went to Jerusalem and had a meal. The resurrection power of God is available to every person here. I want you to just consider this. Think about this seriously. Jesus being raised from the dead physically had one main purpose. So that you would know that he's God. And that there is none other like him. See, he wants you to face a truth. If Jesus was raised from the dead, then he's different from all other religious leaders that have ever lived. He's not like Mohammed. 
or Buddha or any other religious leader. He's the only one who said, I'm going to rise from the dead and do it. He could have said, oh, I'm going to rise spiritually, and then who, who can tell that? He said, no, I'm rising physically. And he did it to show you that he is God. But here's the thing. If Jesus is God, and if he really did die for your sins, and if he really did rise from the dead, what have you done? How have you responded? You see, the whole goal of this was not just forgiveness of sin. A lot of people say it's all about forgiveness of sin. That's We, we need that. But folks, what God really wants is you to be forgiven of your sin. And you have new life. He wants you to have a resurrected life. It's not just forgiveness of sin. They had a type of forgiveness of sin in the Old Testament. He wanted us to have a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And because of the precious blood of Jesus, that's available. Long, I don't know, maybe 30, 35 years ago, a guy named Andre Crouch, great songwriter, he wrote a song. It's called, The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power. The blood that Jesus shed for me Away back on Calvary The blood that gives me strength From day to day It will never And it reaches to the highest mountain And it flows to the lowest valley The blood that gives me strength from day Today it will never lose its power, and it calms my doubts, and it soothes my fears, and it dries all of my tears. The blood that gives me strength From day to day It will never lose its power Sing it with me if you can do it And it reaches to the highest mountain And it flows to the lowest 
Willis Valley And the blood that gives me strength From day to day It will never lose again It will never lose again It will never lose its power Thank you, Lord It will never lose its power. Father, I thank you. I bless the name of the Lord today. Father, I thank you that your blood shed that day on Calvary was followed by your great resurrection. And not only, Lord, we can have forgiveness, but the blood provides for our forgiveness and our resurrection life. You told us in Romans 8, Lord, if that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, He will quicken, make alive our mortal bodies. This morning, Lord, there are people in this room, there are people in this room who desperately need resurrection life. Lord, I pray for every individual in this room. They need you. They need new life. They feel like they're dead on the inside. And it's because it's true. Without you, Lord, we are dead. We need new life. And I pray, Father, today, today, People all over this room would make the choice to receive Jesus Christ and receive new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team is going to sing. If you need new life, it's not by chance that you're here today. God wants to give you new life. You're tired of living in that old life. And you want new life. You want that life that comes from resurrected power. I'm going to ask you to come right down to the front. Join me right here. I'm going to pray with you that you would receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. That you would receive resurrected life. Yes. Hallelujah. Anybody else? You want to receive that resurrected life. New life in Jesus Christ. Anyone else? Yes. Come on. Come on. New life in Jesus Christ. It's available for every person. Don't turn it away. Don't turn it down. God has gone to amazing lengths for you to have new life. Thank you, young man, for coming. Anyone else? You want to have that resurrected life. true we're dead without Christ we need Jesus to give us new life anyone else we're going to wait just a minute yes thank you young man come on anyone else yes thank you ladies come on anyone else thank you for coming 
Hey, guys. Hi, young ladies. This is the offer that God has been making for over 2,000 years. You can have new life. It's asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart, give you a new heart, give you a new life. I want you to understand this. When you walk out of this building today, you have no sin. He washes away all of your sin. You walk out a brand new person. And not just forgiveness of sin, but new life. You know, we, we try to be good and, and we usually fail. We try to be better and we fail. I want you to understand, when you receive new life, Jesus Christ coming to live, and the power of God coming inside of you, you have a new ability, a new strength on the inside to live the kind of life that you've always wanted to live. So I'm going to ask you to pray out loud with me. You can join with me. We're going to pray and ask Jesus Christ to come in and give you that new life. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I can't do it, Lord. I've tried, and I can't do it. I cannot be good in my own strength. I accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. I accept the blood of Jesus as the forgiveness of my sin. And I receive the power of the Holy Spirit to come into my life and change me on the inside and make me a brand new person. I will never be the same. I will be full of the Holy Spirit, forgiven, changed, new heart. I am born again by the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. I received your gift of eternal life. In the name of Jesus, amen.